Welcome to the Lead Gen Leaders Podcast, connecting you to the leading minds in home improvement to discuss all things marketing and leadership. And now, your host, Kyle Powers. Welcome to the Lead Gen Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Powers. A very exciting show for the listeners today. This will be my guest second time on the show, as he has spent over 25 years in this industry, 21 of them owning his own, and we're going to talk everything from culture to leadership to recruiting to training and the steps it takes to get your company sold. He has recently sold his company, and we're going to be talking all about that on today's episode. I'd like to welcome to the show my friend, Bob Quillen. Hello, Bob. Hello, Kyle. How you doing today? Fantastic. Awesome. Well, I'm super excited, uh, you know, to have you on the show again as, as being my, um, you know, first guest that's been on the show uh, multiple times now. Uh, but before we really get into why I wanted you on the show the second time, uh, can you maybe give the listeners a little background, uh, again, who you are if they haven't listened to that first episode so they get to know you a little bit? Uh, and if they certainly haven't listened to that first episode uh, that I had you on, they should certainly go back into the archives and, and listen to that also uh, so they get a little more insight on what we're talking about today. Uh, so, Bob, take a couple minutes and just kind of share your background with the listeners. Okay, absolutely. Thanks, Kyle. I'm Bob Quillen. I own Quillen Brothers Windows in Bryan, Ohio. Uh, I've been in the industry 25 years, and I've owned my own company for 21 years. Um, we specialize in just windows only, so we're a window replacement company. All right. So, you know, long storied career in the industry, uh, 25 years, 21 owning your own. Uh, but the main reason of having you on the show today is to discuss some some great news that you've recently put out over the past couple of weeks, uh, which is that you've recently sold your company and, and been acquired by Leaf Home Solutions. So congrats on that. Thank you. Um, and so really what I want to talk about today, I know our, our last episode that we chatted with each other uh, was kind of at the early point of the pandemic. And we really talked about what it is that you were doing to kind of lead your three, you know, your team through the pandemic when times were kind of tough and uncertain at that early point. No one really knew that actually for home improvements, the pandemic was going to turn out to be actually pretty nice and a lot of people breaking records and, and having their best year ever. Uh, but at first, you know, we didn't know it was going to be like that. So I had you on the show to talk about how you were leading through that pandemic, uh, which brings us really to, you know, you being acquired. And what I really want to talk about is, is what makes a company acquirable? You know, what processes, what things, you know, what are the top couple of points that you feel a, a company may need to have to even have somebody else look at them at, at possibly, you know, purchasing them. Because I just know from being on the road, visiting with a lot of different people and a lot of different companies that a lot of guys kind of have that, you know, that vision that maybe someday they can build something that is acquirable. Um, and so, again, welcome to the show. And uh, so let's just get right into it. What do, you, what do you think is one of the number one things that, uh, you know, made your business uh, acquirable? Well, I, I had been approached... Um Kyle, you guys are the first to know, but we had actually been approached um, four times previously from other offers about acquiring us. And probably the number one ingredient that I think you have to have, well, two ingredients, patience and discernment. 
it's not a fast process. It's a slow process. Like I said, in the last two years, we've been approached um, four other previous times. It's just when we were approached by LEAF this time, it was just too good to not take the offer. It, everything fit just like an old, worn-out ball club. It was the perfect match for us. And so when I say patience, I think what people need to understand is from the time you decide you might want to possibly package your business to go on the market or be sold or even entertain an offer, okay, I think one of the important things is, is you have to have a good advisor. And so we hired Angle Advisors out of Birmingham, Michigan. Um, they've been the advisor for several transactions in the United States now. They have a lot of experience and a lot of the acquisitions that you've heard of or seen of or anything like that. They probably had their hands in that somehow. I'm so glad that I took on an advisor. You know, some people say, well, I can't afford an advisor. Well, if you're really trying to be a professional and get the maximum opportunity out of your business, I think, I feel you have to invest in it and have an advisor. This is their specialty because it's a long process. I mean, when you hire an advisor, you know, you're going to have to put some money up front, Kyle. And, and I'm not going to say how much we put because every company is different, but you got to invest in it. And when I called my accountant and I said, you know, Bill, do you think I should pay this lump sum fee? And he says, well, yeah, Bob, you know, I don't think it would be bad. And I, the more I thought about it, I felt so comfortable investing in a one-time setup fee because my attitude was, if I invest this money one time up front and then I don't sell it, I looked at that opportunity as one hell of an education. Okay, So I looked at really my investment up front as an education. And then if, if, if they package your business and they negotiate for you and they sell it and it closes, then they get a small percentage or whatever contract you might decide that they're going to get paid. So, you know, but they earn money 10 times. But the process is those advisors, you got to, it's about a six month process at least. The first three months, they're going to develop your book of business. They're going to develop a story about you, your history, your presentations. So they're going to, you're going to think they're the IRS. They're going to ask you everything. They are so detailed. They want your P&L statements for, you know, three, five, maybe up to 10 years. They want to know your marketing campaign and all your resources, your percentages, your overhead costs. They're going to scrub your P&L statements for you where you're going to actually think you're being audited. But they know those are the questions that these potential buyers are going to ask them. So they want to be prepared. They're going to ask you the history of your company locations or sales company, they're going to go back through the archives really put together a story about your company. That process alone is a three-month process. Then they're finally going to get your presentation together, and they're going to shop it. They're going to reach out to the people that they know in the market that are potential buyers. They're going to, you know, shop that for you. Have people sign non-disclosure forms, you know, all the legal transactions that have to happen and uh you know that's about a two-month sometimes maybe three months but at least a two-month process to get some offers to get some people biting to get some people that want to look at your presentation and your book and your history your story and so that process could take another two months and then once you finally get a serious offer and a serious bite and you decide who you want to run with there's another 60 days after that of strictly legal accounting closing due diligence investigation and all that. So it's a six-month process. And so you really have to be patient. It's not something you're just going to do next month. You have to be willing to walk the journey 
experience the journey and get the education. Yeah, absolutely. And and what I kind of took out, um, you know, as as the main point out of everything you were discussing there is is something that you talked about back in our first episode too, that, you know, when the when the pandemic hit, you reached out to the experts. You reached out to the other people to see what their thoughts are and and you you've never been a, a afraid to do that, you know. You you never went on your own. You always try to figure out, hey, who might know the answers, you know, be resourceful, who can I get them from? How can I, you know, find that? And so I, you know, if I don't want to put words in your mouth, but if I could kind of sum up that first part is is reach out to the experts and get some good yep. advice. Yeah. Um, yep. There's people out there that have blazed the trail for people like us to follow. And we have to be humble enough to, you know, learn from their experience. You know, no reason for us to pay the dumb tax when someone else has already paid it. Right. No, I, I agree. We we say that all the time. And really as a as a coach and consultant, that's you know what my clients are doing is they're paying yeah. me because I paid the dumb tax. So they don't there have to pay, they don't have to pay that tax. They pay me. Um, that's it. And so absolutely. yeah, absolutely. And so okay, so you go through this process uh, and obviously you know, at the end of the day, you found a buyer, it all worked out, every, everything is well, and you're going through that transition now. But what are some of the things then inside your business that, you know, that company found uh, that was good in your story that that made you acquirable, you know, from somebody else? You know, what are maybe a couple of the, you know, selling propositions, so to say, what made you different or more acquirable than maybe somebody else that you think uh, was inside your business? Well, probably the biggest thing I would like to get across to the audience here is it seems like in the home improvement business, everybody wants to talk about the size of their pencil. In other words, how big their company is and how big their volume is. That really doesn't mean anything in this world. They're not interested in the size of your pencil. They're more interested in the lead and the size of the lead inside of your pencil. So in other words, your profitability. Mm -hmm. Okay, And they base your profitability on a term called EBITDA, okay? Now, what that stands for is that your earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And how you figure someone's EBITDA pile is what they look at is they look at your financial records. They look at your installed business deposited in the bank within one month. So not how much sales volume you sold, because if you didn't install it, you didn't get paid on it. They're looking at how much money did you deposit in your bank account off your installations in one month period. You take that volume, then you subtract your material cost. Then you subtract your installation management and labor cost. You subtract your sales cost. You subtract your marketing cost and your management there and your labor and all the miscellaneous things that go with marketing. You subtract all your general overhead expenses. And you subtract your owner's salary that you drew out yourself. That's going to leave you with an operating profit. Okay. You take that operating profit and you look at your last 12 months. So what they're very, very interested in is what they call a lagging 12 months. They want a 12 month history of your operating profit, immediate 12 months. When they do that, that is your evil. Most companies are looking for companies that have a million dollars plus EBITDA. So you could be asking yourself, well, how do I qualify for that? Or what do I got to do to get that? So there's a, there's a belief out there that you have to be at least a $10 million company before anybody will look at you. The reason that is out there is because if you're a $10 million company, 
and you have at least a 10% bottom line profit or EBITDA, 10 to 12%, you know, 10% of 10 million is $1 million or 1.2 million. So that's kind of the starting point. But once again, it's not all based on your volume. It's based on your profitability. So because Bob, like your, myself, your company was what size? About a 5 million, 5.1, 5.2. So we accomplished the same thing being a $5 million company because we had a 20 plus percent EBITDA. So we had averaged over 20 years about 24%. And in the last two to three years, we've been able to scale it up to 28, 29%. So they looked at us as a buying opportunity, the same thing they would look at a company at 12 to 15 million because our profitability was there. So the name of the game is really your profitability, not your volume. Yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, I've, I've talked with a lot of people in the industry that they do, you know, some pretty insane amounts of volume, but they have to do that or they don't make any profit, you know, and that's what right. I've always really admired about you, Bob, is 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 what you've been able to do uh, in your little area of the world there, uh, you know, because you're not in a major metropolitan area, you know, you're, uh, d have you ever done a study to see how big your, your market is? Like how many people are in your market? Do you know that number? Yeah, like somewhere right around 1 million. Yeah. So not, not a huge market, you know, that you're in there. Uh, and you know, to be able to do what you did, um, you know, is, is awesome. Uh, and I think it's a, a great thing for anybody to look at and to shoot for that. I think it's much easier to get to a point uh, of management and of leading, uh, you know, because when you're doing 10, 15, 20 and, and upwards of a lot of other people, it takes a lot more moving parts, a lot more people, a lot more things to happen to make, ensure that profit, uh, it's a lot more manageable when it's smaller. So really the first part you talked about is, is, you know, talking to the experts to figure out how you can make that happen. Uh, and, the, and then the second, you know, point, I think we can sum up with profit, right? That, yep. um, I think there's a book out there that says profit, uh, you know, isn't everything. It's the only thing, right? I mean, it's, it's right. all that matters in business. If you can't turn a profit, you're not going to be there for your people, not going to be there for your customers, uh, and, and all that kind of stuff. Profit is certainly not a dirty word. So, um, you know, that's something to shoot for. But I think the cool part is on that profit side is really, it was your processes, uh, in your accountability efforts, uh, you know, that that make that happen. Uh, and I'd like to talk about that a little bit. Absolutely, Kyle. I, and, and just to touch base on that profit, you know, they're, they're going to build your EBITDA value basically off your last 12 months, so you're lagging 12 months, okay? But also, beyond that, they're also looking at the, what they call your three-year EBITDA. That's extremely important. Because the stronger your three-year EBITDA is, in other words, your consistency, they're not looking for a company who just, you know, did a million dollars plus profit one year, but the other years they didn't hit it. They're 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 taking a snapshot of five years back, and they're really focusing on your last three years. But they're going to base your value off your last twelve months. But if you have a good twelve months, but then prior to that, you really didn't have good years, you know, that's going to determine your multiplier. So, and that's really what we're all after is a higher multiplier. So how you get your multiplier up it, it is a couple things. One, you want to have a good, strong three-year EBITDA. <clears throat> Some of the other things that I think they're looking for and that helps you package your business and stand out from the crowd, if I guess you could say. So number one would be EBITDA. Number two, they're looking at your business culture. <clears throat> what type of 
company do you own? What's your reputation? What's your employee retainment? They're looking at those numbers. Something, Kyle, that you're going to love and Tony's going to love because you guys are assisting people in this is your reviews. They want to know about your reviews. They want to know about your Google rankings. They want to know about your Better Business Bureau reviews. They want to know what do your customers think about you publicly and what are they saying. And so for a company that's not following through with that after-the-sale contact, you're costing yourself a fortune later down the road. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that's one thing you did good is uh, early on, you were an adopter of our brand ambassador program and really fit it for your business. And and not only has it built your reviews, uh, I challenge any listener to, to go online and look at Quill and Brothers Windows and, and, and look at the reviews that you got because they're phenomenal. Uh, but it also helped on your marketing costs because I know, yep. you know you had a very great marketing cost for what that brand ambassador position that then generated in business. Absolutely. So they're looking for customer satisfaction rate. Um, here's something interesting. They're looking for how your employees are treated. They're looking for the synergy within your organization. Throughout my transaction process, I know some of these buyers told me they've walked away from companies because they, they come and visit you multiple times. This is nothing you just do through a Zoom call or through, you know, just a, a telephone conversation. For sure. They're going to make several visits to your organization. They're going to float around. They're going to look at things. They're going to dissect things. <clears throat> and through this process, one of the things that they're looking for is how, what's the energy in your building? What's the energy with your people? What's the energy in your team? How do you treat your employees? Okay. Another thing that really helps you, okay, because it's a long, drawn-out process, as I said, six months plus, you've got to keep good records. You've got to have your data right. You've got to know all your marketing numbers, all your sales numbers, all your overhead numbers. You've got to have accurate P&L statements. So you can't be half-assed with any because they're going to find they're going to find your weaknesses, okay? And they're looking for someone that has their information and accuracy documented. So those are the things that I think that they're really... But I was really shocked when I heard that these companies had went out and entertained buying other companies. But after they met the owner or they met some of the management team or they floated around the building, you know, for a couple of visits, they shared with me, there's no way we're putting our foot in that. They don't treat their people right. They don't treat their, you know, they have a sour taste towards their customers or they just don't care about reviews or, so these companies are not wanting to acquire companies that don't treat their own people and their own customers right. Right. And I, I mean, always the saying, right? If you, you treat your employees right, they'll treat your customers right. Yep. And, so uh, it, it was go ahead. Quite an education to realize how important these things that you guys promote on stage at your events. These are key, key factors in, in what these companies are looking for. Yeah, absolutely. And I know one of the things you've always shared uh, in your talks and stuff that you've done is the amount of time that you spend on building up your employees in your business, not just on the business side, but in the life side. And I think which uh, which certainly I don't just think I I know that's what's attributed to your ability to attain employees and keep them and have low turnover rates, 
which then gives you the ability to get them trained right and up and going that, you, you know, you have some elite people on your staff, which it's just interesting how that stuff just plays in that, that never ending circle, right? That if you get good employees, you treat them right, you train them right, you grow them right, they treat the customer right. And it's just that never ending circle, which then turns into higher profit or EBITDA, as you say. Um, and and what is maybe a couple other uh, points that you might have, you know, for someone that, uh, you know, let's say, you know, what they're just a couple couple million dollar business, you know, certainly not super small, not a mom and pop, but they they have some growth, and you know, they're like, hey, I I want an end goal, I want, you know, I want to work really hard for a while and really build this thing right, and and so hopefully. I'm acquirable. What's maybe some basic advice you might give them? Because uh, I, I know I get asked a lot, like when I go out and, and uh, you know, coach somebody or train somebody, they always ask like, how do I get to where you're at? Like, how does that happen? And in, in fact, I know back when Tony uh, had the contract uh, to place a canvas manager with a company and he found me and placed me at the company, I know I asked him that, you know, almost 13 years ago, like, hey, what do I have to do to to get to where you're at? You know, and, and he told me, and it's the same thing I, I tell people uh, when they ask me is is just get really good for a long time and and, and show people you, you know what you're doing. And that's the results that you get that shows people that you know what you're doing. And when you do that good enough for long enough, you know, people are willing to to have you out and pay you for your knowledge. So what is some maybe quick points that you might give, you know, to some guys that are kind of at that point in their career of, of owning their, you know, their company? Well, one, the first thought that pops in my head, um, Kyle, is the four H's. You got to stay honest. You got to stay hungry. You got to stay humble. And you got to stay vulnerable. Okay. During those traits, those character traits, as we call them, I think you really got to sink your teeth into this industry and this business model, and you got to master your craft. Okay, that is so important. Staying in that student mode, mastering your craft. Professionals tell us you have to invest ten thousand hours into your craft before you actually understand. I don't know if people know that, but ten thousand hours don't happen next week. 10,000 hours, you have to invest in your craft 10,000 hours before you're probably going to become super efficient at it. So be willing to pay the due diligence and invest 10,000 hours in mastering your craft. And as you're mastering your craft, keep those four H's in mind. Stay on, stay humble, stay hungry, be open, diversify your marketing aspects, learn from the people that have the fruit on the tree. There's people in this industry who has carved out the yellow brick road and they have the fruit, they have the success, they paid the dumb taxes, they call it, and learn from those people. Find a mentor, find somebody who is living the lifestyle that you want to live and obtaining the life that you want to have and reach out to them and listen to them. But in the process, remember, you want to build your volume from that 2 million to 3 million to 4 million, okay? But it's a process. Slow, steady, plan, prepared growth is the key. Get yourself to the level where your EBITDA is a million dollars plus. You can do that. And you've done it consistently for 12 months. And then you have a good three-year track record. You are on the possibility of being acquired. But then you... Through that process, Kyle, you've got to have your culture right. You've got to have your records right. You've got to have your data right. 
but that goes back to the 10,000 hours invested in the mastering your craft. And I think you really just have to take this serious and you have to make this your baby. Too many people I see get in this business because they just want the money and they don't think about tomorrow. You know, what? what's that saying? Always start with the end in mind. And so I think everybody has the American dream of starting their own business, helping their families, helping other people's families, investing in their community, having a little bit of flexibility of time. But we all have a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow mentality. We all want that reward. So during that 10,000 hours, probably one of the biggest things I could maybe advise you is, you know, other than the four H's and being a master of your craft, is focus on the prize and quit bitching about the price. Too many of us, we get caught with fleas, we scratch, we dig, we moan, we complain. We focus on the price, you know, we focus on the COVID, we focus on, you know, the EPA, we focus on things we can't control. And really, we gotta get up every day and we gotta focus on the prize. And that's what we're chasing, the ultimate prize. We're all gonna go through hell, we're all gonna go through valleys, we're all gonna have struggles, we're all gonna have battles. Life's gonna throw curveballs at us, but keeping your eye on the prize and not getting distracted during the price because I think it's a key, key ingredient to making all this happen. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that's great advice as as well as, you know, you brought up the four H's in there, um, you know, and that's something that, you know, we also preach to, you know, hiring people, especially other managers and leaders in your business. I think they have to mimic the same characteristics that you're trying to do to, to make your business that way because, they're in charge of a, a division or a department and, and they're not that way that that can, you know, harm your business too. So, you know, I, I, I know right now a, a big thing in our industry and, and really almost anywhere I go in the United States for business is finding help right now. Right. I mean, yep. uh, demand is up, cost is up, uh, money's being lent pretty cheaply. It all came to the perfect storm that most of these companies are really, really busy, but they don't have enough installers. They don't have enough salespeople. They don't have enough marketers. And I think yep. it's when at points like this, when sometimes companies take the, again, they're, they're not starting out with the end in mind. Hey, how can I make it happen and make that money today? And they hire that person that doesn't share those four H's uh, and, it, and it really hurts them, you know, in the long run, you know, with that. So, um, you know, can you maybe talk a little bit about your hiring process and, you know, as well as, you know, talking about the, the training that you give them for, you know, just life coaching, uh, you know, to become better people and really embody those four H's? Sure. I mean, you know, our recruiting process is quite lengthy. You know, once again, you know, we, we may have a, a first interview with somebody and, and on that first interview, we're going to personality profile them. We're going to have them take a test because I, I believe myself, I could be right, I could be wrong, but we all are born with gifts and talents. We all have different temperaments. And, and we know what the job entails, and we know the temperament of the person that we need. And so we're trying to match temperaments with talent and in that specific position that we're hiring. So we'll do the personality profiling test, and we'll try and match them to what their real temperament and, and their core values are. But then, you know, we're going to have a second interview after we know their personality. We learn, you know, I give them a cool-off period. I, I send everybody home after their first interview, and I give them three, four, or five days to go home, think about it, talk about family, you know. Is this something you really want to research and take a next step to? On the second interview, if they call me back and schedule a second interview, 
I'm going to answer any questions that maybe they've developed with their spouse or family or research in that cool-off period. But then I have an observation period. In other words, no matter what department they're going to get hired in, they invest, you know, like in my show and event department, they invest two, three-hour time frames, one like on an evening during the week for three hours and one on a Saturday or Sunday at a show and event. And they go to a show and event at their cost, and they shadow my show and event work. Because I don't want to sit in a boardroom and try and give a job description because what I think I'm painting is not what they're probably picturing. And so I want them in the field actually seeing what this job entails. Same thing with my salespeople. If I have a sales candidate that interviews with me, they're going to jump in a car with a seasoned salesman one evening of the week and then next week maybe on a Saturday for three or four hours and we like one week with that salesman. They're going to be able to pick that salesman's brain, ask that salesman questions, Go in a house, see how we treat the customer, how the customer treats us, see our product, our demonstration. Because then they have a pure, complete mental picture of what this job entails. Once they've went through that process, they're either going to call me and say, Kyle, thank you for the opportunity. There's no way in hell I can do that. Okay, that's fine. We just saved ourselves a lot of time investing in the wrong prospect. They may say, I think I could do it, but I really don't want to. That's fine. But what we're hoping for is they're saying, now that I've seen exactly what I'm going to be doing, I think I can do it, and I want to do it. Perfect. Now we have the right prospect. And then we're going to put them into our training program. And depending on the vision, every department has a training program. Everyone has to go through a training period. And we invest heavily into helping them learn our trade. But once again, I think you said it, and I know I've heard Tony say it several times, we focus on hiring people with character. We can teach them talent along the way. But sometimes when we're trying to build a business too fast, too quickly, and we're chasing that volume, sometimes managers and business owners, we hire talent because we're looking for the quick fix. But they don't have the right character. So really, they're a band-aid solution to the permanent fixture we're trying to fix. And it lasts for a season. That's what creates high rate turnover. Even when you do it right, Kyle, you're going to have turnover. That's just part of the game. But minimizing and learning how to minimize your turnover can save you a lot of frustration. And it really gains traction. It's a compounding effect. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially when we're talking about on the marketing side of things, you know, again, turnover tends to be higher than normal on on that side of the business uh, than a lot of other businesses. But um, I, I've always looked at it as, you know, something that's helped me in my career was the ability to create the culture and the processes and things like that to keep people longer than average, which means you can spend yep. your time making them better in the job and still, instead of spending your time getting another person to just start the job. Um, yep. And so, it, you know, I think we can sum up this entire conversation here as we're getting towards the end, uh, something that I know we discussed at, at LeadCon and we've talked a lot about in our, on our firm, and that's, you know, the three Ps, which is people, process, and profit. Yep. And that, that seems like what you've essentially done in your business is gotten the right people, doing the right things to the customers, which has created happy customers, which has created great profit, which made you acquirable. Yes. And you know what? I didn't wake up knowing any of this, Kyle. <laughs> I wasn't born with this mentality. 
I stayed hungry. I stayed humble. I stayed honorable. I found people that had the answers I was looking for. I found the people that had already carved the yellow brick road and had the fruit on the tree and was living the lifestyle that I wanted to live. And I stayed in student mode. I was constantly learning. I was just, I had a very strong filter on who I was going to listen to and who I was going to learn from. I wanted to make sure that whoever I allowed in my brain actually had the fruit on the tree that I was chasing. And those people are out there in this industry. There's some very, very skilled, knowledgeable people. And if we go to these events and we go to these seminars and conventions and we go there with a student mode as a sponge, who can I learn from? How can I take this back? How can I apply it? That's really the name of the game. You cannot be stingy in your self-investment. You got to invest more into yourself, trade, mastering your craft to get to the level that you want to get to. Yeah, absolutely. And I was just going to transition into the power's powerful point and have you give one last point, but I think you just summed it up right there that, that no other points needed. If all the listener gets out of it is continue no matter what to be a student. And I always say, you know, stand on the shoulder of giants, right? I mean, that's essentially what it is that there's a lot of people that have paved the road and it, you know, you can get the information from them and, you know, they paid the dumb tax already, so you don't have to. And, um, you know, that's a great attitude to have. So, Bob, I, I thank you so much for your time today. Uh, I congratulate you and, and your company and your employees on a job well done to, you know, to be able to be acquired and, and joined with a, you know, a large company that's going to keep growing and, and, and doing well and, and using your processes and things like that. And I look forward to seeing what the, the next steps are in, in your life and the journey, because I, I definitely know you're not done growing people because uh, you have a passion for that. Um, so yeah, I I look forward to what you have coming up next. And again, thank you so much for being on the show. Kyle, I appreciate it. We're very blessed. We're very happy and we are excited for the future also. Awesome. Well, you have a wonderful day, Bob. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the lead gen leaders podcast for a free consultation on how Tony Hody training and consulting can assist with your home remodeling business please visit TonyHody.com. That's T-O-N-Y-H-O-T-Y.com. Thank you for listening.